Well, welcome into Mom Q this morning. I'm so glad that you guys are here. I hope that God empowered you with his grace in moments of weakness last week um, after our discussion on how um, God gives us his grace in our times of need. And so I hope that you were able to see that and draw closer to God as a result. This morning, we are going to do a little bit of reviewing as we talk about our topic for today. We're almost halfway through the semester. It's really hard to believe, but uh, next week there's going to be an exam. Ah, Just kidding. So let's get started. So our question today is, will they ever do what I say? This is such a great question, and I know that a lot of people will long for this, and I think we're going to really address this well today. So uh, raise your hand if you've ever heard any of these statements from your kids. Me do it. (laughs) Mine. It's all about the tone, right? No. Of course, we've all heard the word no from our kids. Um, And actually, as parents, we say it a lot too, right? I heard on the radio last week that the average parent says no 700 times in a month. And I was thinking to myself, that doesn't seem high enough. So um, no is a very popular word in most homes with kids. Uh, How about have they ever said, I hate you? Mm, That's a tough one. And then the mean, you're the meanest mom ever. Unfortunately, if you haven't heard that yet, you probably will. Paul Tripp in his book on 14 gospel principles lists some behaviors, some rebellious behaviors at the beginning of his chapter on authority. And let's see if you recognize any of these as well. Sally has decided at two and a half that she will never eat vegetables in her entire life. Billy is five and has told his parents he won't sleep if he can't sleep with them. Jared argues with his dad every time he's told what to do. Cindy is six and thinks that it's dumb that she can't wear makeup yet. Bo really does think his future is in video games and not in doing homework. And Miley is obsessed with texting her friends during class. Our sweet and precious children seem to have a dark side sometimes. One minute they're telling us how much they love us, and the next minute they're yelling, fighting, hitting, and even screaming. We get frustrated and lose our patience, and the cycle continues. What is the problem, we ask? Why won't they just do what we say? Well, the problem is that we are all born with a nature that rejects authority from birth. We talked about this a couple weeks ago, and the Bible labels this rebellion sin. And sin wants to set our own rules and convinces us that we know better. So why do we sin anyway? Well, the Bible explains it like this. God created us perfect in his image, and he gave us the Garden of Eden to walk and talk with him, and he only had one rule that we were not to eat from the tree of life at the center of the garden. Now, Satan, who's God's enemy, comes along and he convinces Eve that the reason that God doesn't want her to eat from that tree is because he's trying to keep her from something good. Even though she knows God's goodness and he's given her everything she could ever need in that garden, she still falls to Satan's temptation She takes the fruit and eats it and then gives it to Adam and he eats it too. And that moment, their disobedience 
brings sin into the world. And all human beings inherit this sinful, rebellious, sick heart, really. Jeremiah reiterates this in his book, chapter 17, verse 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can understand it? Now, this is the English Standard Version translation, and the NIV, instead of desperately sick, uses beyond cure. And I just think that is a great description of our our sinful hearts. It's beyond cure. Jeremiah had seen the sick human heart when he was alive. It was a very dark time in Israel's history. He was a prophet to Judah between the years of 626 and 586 B.C., and basically spent his whole life warning them to return to God from rampant disobedience. It was so bad. It, went, it, it got so bad that they were sacrificing their children to other gods. But they didn't listen. And the price was that God allowed them to be taken captive by the Babylonians and live in exile for 70 years. So why does Jeremiah use the word heart and say that the word uh, the heart is desperately sick? Well, because this is where the Hebrew people thought the center of all life existed, in the heart. The physical life, thoughts, emotions, even choices and desires, all were thought to come from the heart. Jeremiah was saying that the human heart was incapable of good and that only God can know what we're thinking. All behavior problems in our children are actually heart problems. Let's talk about self-rule. I can choose to live any way I want. No one can tell me what to do. That's a heart issue. Self-sufficiency. I don't need help or instruction or wisdom or correction. I know what I'm doing. Or selfishness. I want my happiness even if it costs you yours. Paul says in Ephesians 2.1, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. This is pretty depressing. So... Is there any hope for our sick hearts? Thankfully, yes. The cure for our sinful human heart is to be supernaturally changed by God himself. God has to perform the heart surgery that we need to heal us. And the cool thing is, he promised pretty much from day one when Adam and Eve sinned, and then all throughout the, New, the Old Testament that he would do this. He would heal our sick hearts. Because he loves us that much. In Ezekiel 36, 26, we see uh, God tell Ezekiel, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Ezekiel was a priest who was among the Jewish captives carried off to Babylon. And uh, it was approximately 597 B.C., And here he's recording that God tells him one day he's going to bring the cure for our deceitful hard hearts. At the perfect time in history, he's going to send Jesus to inaugurate a new covenant of grace. The old covenant was the law and the commandments. And what this did was show them that they were incapable of keeping this old covenant on their own. And so Jesus came so sins could be forgiven and sinners could be born again. 
All we have to do to receive this new heart and inherit eternal life is believe that Jesus died in our place by taking our sin upon himself and wiping out the debt we owed but couldn't pay. This is amazing news. John 3, 5, Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. We must be born again. As desperately wicked people, we cannot reform our hearts by our own effort. The only solution is for God to make our hearts new, washed clean from sin, and fundamentally reoriented toward pleasing him. God made a way for us. And then we are transformed. This new heart transforms us. This is the gift of grace and it's open to anyone. The most beautiful thing about it is you don't have to come from a certain background or or faith or uh, you don't have to clean yourself up to come to God. You just need to trust him, to trust Christ. The Bible tells us that Christ died for us while we were still sinners. So sometimes it might seem too easy that all we have to do is believe and receive that gift, but it cost Jesus everything. He willingly left the glory of heaven to come to earth and live and die as a man. He suffered unspeakable pain and agony so that we could have a new heart and be given eternal life. Have you received this gift of grace and been born again, as Jesus said in the book of John? God wants to lavish you with his mercy and love. He wants to give you abundant life, free from the bondage of sin and the guilt of your past. But this heart surgery that we need is elective. Now, my dad was a cardiologist And I heard about the heart my entire life. And I knew uh, a lot of sicknesses that the heart can have. And my dad didn't perform heart surgery, but he certainly tried to, he performs um, procedures that would prevent people from having heart surgery. But sometimes heart surgery was the only alternative. And in this case, it is the only alternative and it is elective at the same time. God will never force himself on you. This is the most important decision you will ever make. I made this decision at almost 30 years old to trust Christ as my Savior. It completely changed the trajectory of my family and my life. So we need to receive God's gift of grace. And we, it is eternal. Our salvation that we receive the moment that we trust Christ It starts the minute that we receive it, and it is forever. There is nothing we can do to lose it. And we receive the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. This is where the process of changing us begins. This is the new heart that God promised in Ezekiel. So here's the point. Lasting heart change is impossible apart from the rescuing, forgiving, transforming, and delivering grace of Jesus. And our children cannot truly change their behavior until they receive this new heart. So how do we help them get there? Well, what we need to do is shepherd their hearts. 
And we've talked about shepherding their hearts, but we're going to dive in a little bit deeper today. Some of these things we will, will be a review and some will be new. So in order to shepherd their hearts, we need to establish authority early. We've talked about that. We're going to talk about it some more. Seek understanding with our kids. Share the gospel and then teach them to guard their hearts. So first of all, we begin by establishing our authority early. We need to establish boundaries and enforce them as soon as we see that our children are prone to disobey us. For instance, a couple weeks ago, our mentor mom, Sue, talked to us about how when her children began pulling up on the coffee table and reaching for items that she had told them were off limits, she would grab their hand and squeeze it so that they knew that that was not okay. That's the kind of boundaries and enforcement that we need from the, from the get-go. And I have here in front of me a graph with an X and a Y axis, and it has two lines. Um, on the Y axis, we see authority and influence. And on the X axis, we see age zero to 18. Authority starts at the top of the Y axis and goes straight down to as the children get older. So the point is we have the most authority when our children are first born. This is when they really listen to us and look to us to establish those boundaries in their lives. But as they grow older and begin to think for themselves and begin to question things, our authority diminishes. And at that point, we look at the other line, which is starts at the zero for influence and goes completely up in the direction straight up for uh, up as we is the child ages. And so what we see there is that our influence is low, almost nothing when they're first born, because that relationship really isn't built yet. It's all, all they know is we're meeting their physical needs. But as we build that relationship through communication and love and grace, our influence grows and our authority decreases. And so that's why establishing authority early is absolutely critical. When they learn to follow our authority as God's representatives, they will follow God's authority. Paul Tripp says, every time you exercise authority in the lives of your children, it must be a beautiful picture of the authority of God. You are the look of God's face, the touch of his hand, and the tone of his voice. And this is also why we must parent We must allow God to parent us as we are parenting them. He will grow and change us. You will be so challenged in your own life through your parenting. When we look in the mirror, we often see things we don't like about ourselves. And sometimes when we look at our children, we see those very same things. Those traits that we don't like, that we display, they're going to see those and they're going to model those. So when we exercise authority, we must not be angry, selfish, impatient, or demeaning. This takes humility and confession because we will fail. So we establish authority early. And then we also want to seek understanding. And that's the influence side of the chart. Ambassador parents help children understand why they do what they do. And this starts very early as well. 
Discipline must be coupled with clear biblical instruction. And this takes time and sacrifice. We need to have conversations during discipline, asking questions that lead them to understand the sin behind their behavior. We want to help them learn to express themselves. They don't know how to express themselves. And so we have to ask those questions to draw them out, help them understand their strengths and weaknesses. And we want them to know that we love them and are committed to their good. That's part of that relationship building. In two weeks, we're going to dive deep into the communication process, but just know that it's okay to talk about Jesus and his amazing grace in moments of discipline because your goal is for them to understand how sin works in their heart. And this is generally what's happening from zero to five, and it's going to continue, but we are working the most from zero to five to establish that authority and begin to build that relationship. And then around five years old, they should be at the point where they understand that they ha- they are sinners in need of a savior, and then we can share the gospel message with them. That's the message that I was talking about earlier, that we need, that we ha- are bar- born with a wicked heart, that we need a new heart that only God can provide, and they can ask Jesus into their heart to transform it through his amazing grace. We're reading the Bible with them daily and talking about Jesus' sacrifice and forgiveness to get them to this point, and then we share the gospel with them. And if you're not secure in sharing the gospel with your children, that is fine. Matter of fact, Hill Country Bible Church on their website has some amazing resources called Milestones. So you just go to www.hcbc.com forward slash milestones, and you will see everything from how to pray with your children, how to choose a Bible to read with them, and even a video on how to give the gospel to them. That is, It is fantastic. So I highly recommend those resources for you. And then after our children accept Jesus, the next step is really goes on until they leave the home, and that's to teach them to guard their hearts. So what does that mean exactly, to guard their hearts? Well, Proverbs 4.23 says, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Once our children have a new heart, they need to learn to protect this heart. And that means allowing the Holy Spirit to be their guide. Solomon wrote chapter 4 of Proverbs to his son about how wisdom is supreme and necessary to live righteously. Its presence in the heart is worth guarding because out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Our thoughts, words, and choices come from our heart. So what are some things that we can teach our children in order to guard their hearts? Well, I'm going to list four things, and these are broad categories. We will get deeper into these next week. Guard against a rebellious spirit and cultivate a spirit of submissive obedience to God's word. Two, guard against a complaining spirit and cultivate a spirit of gratitude and trust. Take every thought captive so that it conforms to the will of God. That's a tough one. And finally, avoid anger, pride, and temptation. This is a lot, and it's not easy. Matter of fact, it's very hard. We can't do it on our own. And that's where God comes in. That's where grace and the Holy Spirit can change us. Ted, Paul Tripp says, when you're disciplining your child, you are being afforded a God-given opportunity to talk about his heart. 
In these moments, tell stories, give illustrations, anything you can do to get the child to step out of himself, to quit defending himself, and examine his heart. We want to be careful not to threaten, manipulate, or guilt them. And while these techniques may work in the short term to get the behavior we want, it's not going to be lasting. It's not shepherding their hearts. We talked a few weeks ago about teaching them to fear the Lord and how knowing God's word is being the, is the key to having wisdom and discernment. Remember the Shema from Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 5. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And what does God promise us if we do these things? That's right, that it will go well with us, that we will be blessed. So we want to remind our children of these things, and we want them to learn that this is what they need to do and they need to own, is to love the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, and mind. Children can learn to obey us and follow the rules, but if they don't understand the importance of guarding their heart, then they then the Pew Research says they have a one in three chance of walking away from God when they're out of our house maybe even sooner. So yes, Pew Research just released a study this month showing that typically between the ages of 15 and 29, 31% of Americans who were raised as Christians become religiously unaffiliated, a group that includes atheists, agnostics, and those who describe their faith as nothing in particular. Now, I don't say this to scare you, but to inform you. You are here and making this a priority in your family. The good news is, you have a, that's a one in three chance they'll walk away. There's a two in three chance that they will stay if we are modeling for them what God wants us to do and them to do. And we just need to shepherd and pray, 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 and trust God. Some, some more thoughts on how we shepherd our children's hearts is that we should shift our mentality from a defensive moment-by-moment mindset to an offensive long-game strategy. What do I mean? Well, I mean we need to change our perspective. Discipline is a process. It's never going to come at a convenient time. Matter of fact, it's usually quite inconvenient when we need to leave the house or when we're trying to get some sleep. Um, but when and, and we're going to discipline them for the same thing over and over again. Each time, we need to pray and see it as an opportunity to help them become who God wants them to be. So that actually means to stop and pray before you discipline, to pause and reflect and ask God to help you. We also can develop spiritual goals for our kids with them and for them. Meet with your husband and develop this list. My husband and I used to talk at least have one of our date nights a month where we went through this with over our children and and talked about how they were doing in these areas and and what they could continue to do and we would pray for them. So uh, Tripp says we need to determine what character is required so that we can be part of what God is seeking to do in the lives of our children. We're going to talk a lot about character next week. We need to recognize that these conversations are lifelong. Again, they're not going to get it until they're much older. But as you see the changes and the little steps, we want to celebrate those. And remember that more is caught than taught. 
And so it's just critical that we just love on them in these conversations, build that relationship, and then work on ourselves because we need to be modeling it first. And then we can connect with their hearts. It's so important that we know each child's unique and different gifts. What works for one may not work for the other. We want to know their hearts, what drives them, what motivates them. What is their love language? There's a fantastic book that's been out for a long time called The Five Love Languages, and they have one for children, and they can take a quiz if they're old enough and find out what their love language is, and then that helps us figure out how to reach their hearts by giving. That's going to be how they give and receive love, and we want to be mindful of that. So I highly recommend that. Psalm 51.10 says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. This was part of David's prayer after Nathan the prophet convicted him of his sin with Bathsheba. If you don't know the story, David had stayed back from war because he was being prideful and didn't think they needed him. And he kind of had started to get overconfident and stray away from God a little bit. And then he saw Bathsheba on a rooftop and decided that he needed to have her. And so he had an affair with her. She becomes pregnant. And in order to cover it up, he actually arranges to have her husband killed. And so David, at this point, is realizing what he's done. He cries out to God, recognizing how far his heart had strayed. And in humility, ask God to restore him and purge the ugliness in his soul. This is what we want to teach our children to do, to have this heart for confession, because they're going to continue to make wrong choices. And that's okay, as long as they learn to confess it and and move forward and receive the forgiveness that Jesus asks them and that we also can give to them. It will become a lifelong process If they're doing this early and then they also see us do it, we want them to understand that when they disobey us, they're disobeying God. And so we want them to confess to him. We are shepherding them to draw near to the throne of grace with confidence, to receive mercy and find grace in their time of need. All right, so I'm going to call Julie up. And Julie Whitehurst is going to share her testimony of what her and her husband, Kevin, did in the lives of their three children to shepherd their hearts. Whoops. All right. Well, Julie, we just appreciate you coming up so much and sharing with us. Um, Can you tell us a little bit, just tell us about your family? Sure. Yes. Well, Like Candace said, I am Julie Whitehurst. I have been married to Kevin for 29 years. Uh, My husband and I both grew up in Christ-following homes. I became a Christian when I was five, and my husband Kevin prayed the prayer of salvation when he was five, but truly surrendered his heart to Jesus at 16. Um, I have an amazing dad. I have amazing parents. But my dad specifically is a very special man, and he was in every aspect the spiritual leader in our home. He would routinely take me on walks while I was growing up at different times, and he would ask me the same question every time. So how is your relationship with the Lord going? And I'd either say terrible or great, and then we'd talk about it. No judgment. The most important habit 
that my parents taught me as well, as well as modeled to me, was how to have a daily quiet time, how to spend time daily reading the Bible and praying. That habit has seen me through and sustained me through devastating and triumphant times in my life. My husband and I met at Baylor. We were set up on a blind date our freshman year, and we did not like each other at all. In fact, I went home with a group of girls, and he went home with a group of guys. Um, but interestingly, two years later, uh, he saw me running around campus and asked me out, asked if I wanted to run with him, and we began dating. We dated our junior and senior year of college and married six weeks after we, we graduated. Oh, my goodness. Uh, we were babies. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, fast forward 29 years and we have a 29 year old son, Matt, who recently married Lauren, a 23 year old son, Connor, who recently graduated from OU and is here in Austin and a 21 year old daughter, Lily, who's a junior at OU. And uh, through God's grace and his goodness, they're all believers each of my kids prayed to receive Christ at around five years old. They've all three hit bumps and veered off path at times in their lives, but they're all Christ followers today. Oh, that's such a, I just love that. I, I especially love what your dad taught you um, or asked you on those walks every, every time yeah. you walked. I, that was something that, um, I, I thought about trying with my own kids. So yeah, my own adult yeah. children. I love that. It still applies. <laughs> it's so good. Um, okay. So, so you have kids that, um, that know the Lord and follow him. So can you give us some examples of things you did to lead your children to the point where they trusted Christ? Sure. Sure. The most important role we will ever have in our lives is the role of training our children to be faithful followers of Christ. I knew this and I felt strongly about this from day one of parenting. So most of you have heard the comparison. You've heard maybe the flight attendant say, if we're, if we're in trouble, put your face mask on before, first before you put it on your child. Well, it's very much the same way with teaching your kids how to have a relationship with the Lord. We, as the parent, have to make sure we're making a relationship with God our first priority before we can teach our kids to do the same. After that, um, well, and after that, Kevin and I made sure that we read the Bible with our kids every morning before school, mm -hmm. that we prayed over the day. We taught them how and, you know, just kind of by age, it, it advanced in our teaching, but how to spend time with God every day praising him thanking him confessing sin and mm. praying for themselves and others um we had family prayer time at night with the kids and uh you know someone once used the illustration about our children being like a tree when you first plant it you have to tend to it a ton mm -hmm. pruning it and watering it constantly so it becomes established. You put right. stakes in all around it so that it grows straight up and not wonky. And that's what those early years are for. That's what they're for, showing them 
who God is and helping them to recognize their need for Jesus. Uh, my husband and I did everything we could to point our kids to the truth. And our hard work, because it is, with God's sovereignty and grace, yielded three little people who knew and loved Jesus. That's so good, Julie. That's huh. so good. How special. And so yeah. once you got them to, I mean, once they received Jesus, then we talked about helping them guard their hearts. Mm -hmm. So what mm -hmm. were you, what did you guys do uh, to do that? Okay. Uh, well, this question took me back first to my own upbringing, uh, things my mom and dad did with me and my sister to help us guard our hearts. We went to church regularly every Sunday. It was just what we did. And we carried that same thing on with our kids. We just went to, went to church on Sundays. That's what we did. Uh, we tithed on every money we ever earned. Mm. We had family devotions. And they encouraged us um, to have a daily quiet time. So when I went off to college and then got married, I just continued on with those things. They mm -hmm. were fixed parts of my life. Well, when we had kids, we just kept doing these things with them. You know, we also did things like VBS and backyard Bible clubs. This was my boy's favorite thing they ever did growing up until they graduated backyard Bible clubs and we got them involved with youth group. And when they didn't want to go to youth group, my husband and I became leaders. So I they had that. to go with us <laughs> and it became a family thing. Um, Kevin and I were also big on the garbage in garbage out idea and teaching them how to handle certain situations. Like one, when they were alone and they had a choice between good and bad behavior we taught them what to do in that moment and why. We also, when mm. they were with friends who were tempting them with things they knew were wrong, we taught them what to do and why we role-played through different scenarios with oh, our good. kids. Uh, one of our kids had a propensity for lying. And uh, this went on for years. Each time, every time it happened, we would go through the steps of confession and repentance and a plan for the next time. We did this many, many, many times, uh, sometimes wondering if it was ever going to change. Huh. It does get frustrating and you feel like it's never going to end. But my encouragement to you is keep going, keep praying. God is in charge of the final result. We're just here and you're just here to do your job as a trainer and a teacher. Mm. Uh, yeah, Kevin and I also felt very strongly um, about teaching our kiddos how to capture their thoughts and make oh, yeah. them obedient to Christ. Yeah, and that has a lot to do with also with what you watch and hear and listen to and, and uh, what you do. And um, we had them memorize scripture. My husband and I had a little bit of an easy out there that we just kind of added on to. Our kids went to private school where they were required to memorize scripture, but we would go over the scripture verses every week and kind of talk about them and while they were um, learning to memorize them. Mm -hmm. um, and then my husband and I also, again, helped them cultivate a time with God every day. A quiet mm -hmm. time is intimate 
communion with God, intimate communication with God. Um, Starla from my small group sent out a article this week to our group on how to have a seven minute quiet time. And it's a, I, I encourage you if you want a resource on how to, how to start a quiet time, how to have a quiet time, I definitely would ask her for that or myself. But one of the quotes that really stood out to me was this, every person who ever became somebody for God had this at the core of their priorities, time alone with God. Mm-hmm. That and um, another piece of advice I have for you along with that is begin praying today, mm-hmm. now for them to have godly friends and role models in their life and pray this every day, as well as uh, teach your kids how to choose people who will be in their inner circle. I once heard someone say, show me your friends. I'll tell you who you are. You know yourself from growing up and you see it in your kids. It is so important who your kids are around. One of the very most important things. Yeah. So, yeah, that was something that was important to us. So good, Julie. So many practical tips. Mm-hmm. Um, I just love it. So, good. so just in closing, what encouragement um, can you give these moms that maybe you, you wish you knew that you haven't, you know, already said, I guess. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, you know, I think we as humans, and I know that I did this as a mom, we tend to look at our children's bad behavior and project that onto who they're going to be when they grow up. Um, I wanted to just say loudly and clearly that is not true. Time, maturity, and God's grace all play into it. And we don't see that part yet. That child of mine who had a propensity towards lying and hiding is a precious, tender-hearted truth teller now. In fact, he's a little too honest sometimes. He hurts my feelings. Um, <laughs> The child who told me repeatedly in high school, don't talk to me about God. You can say anything else, but I don't want to hear about God. And the one who my husband and I had the hardest time raising just told me last week that God has called her into ministry. She sat there during an OU football game as tears streamed down my face Mm. and told me that she aches physically for people to know God's saving grace and his love and is willing to go and wants to go to the far ends of the earth to share that gospel message. Guys, it's hard. It's exhausting. And they're human and will sin over and over again. But God gave you these children to love and steward along with the promise to fill in the gaps where you cannot reach. Oh, Julie, just beautiful. I'm so excited for you and for your daughter and um, just all the results. God is so faithful and so good. God is good, yes. All right, well, thank you, Julie. Um, And uh, we will talk to you soon. Okay, bye. Thank you so much, Julie. That was absolutely amazing, so helpful. And I'm just so in awe of what you guys were able to do and, um, and how you helped your children. 
So in closing, our children all need their hearts to be transformed by God's amazing grace and the work of the Holy Spirit. As they learn to walk with God in wisdom and obedience, they will be able to guard their hearts above all else. Remember, parenting is a moment-by-moment, day-by-day rescue mission. And so the answer to the question, will they ever do what I say? Maybe, but it's not about behavior. It's about their heart. Let's close in prayer. Dear God, we thank you so much for this time that we've had together to dive into your word about our hearts and how we um, desperately need them changed. And you are so gracious and loving that you sent your son to die in our place and give us that new heart that we desperately need. Help those of us here who are hearing this message that have not received you as their Lord and Savior to really ponder these words, pray over them, and be drawn into your saving grace. And Lord, we also just pray that all of us would seek to guard our hearts, to look to your word as our standard and be wisdom and have wisdom and discernment as we follow you and turn away from those things that take us away from you. Help us to have a heart for confession and just to cleanse our hearts, Lord, and help us to walk with you. We thank you so much and just pray as we go from here that we will remember these words throughout the week. In Jesus' name, amen.